A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Welcome to the Film Geek Collective. This day of podcasting, we have something related to the last podcast. But this time we have music-themed films rather than musicals. Such as... Well, first of all, before I say so, i got to get into the shout-outs. Shout-out to Tessie Cat, Mary Amber, and I would also like to give shout-outs to LC Cool and Real Sharks Podcast, a.k.a. Riru Shaku. Keep in mind, this will be an explicit podcast yet again. So, without further ado, let's get into it. So, first of all, I'm going to start off with 8 Mile. Yes, that movie with Eminem, which is... Some people think it's a quasi-biography of him, but... You know, it's uh, actually a fictional character loosely based on Eminem's upbringing. Eminem's the only hip-hop artist I can really stand these days, you know. But he uh, is actually pretty good for being an amateur... No, not amateur, because he's getting paid for this, obviously. But this is the only movie that I've seen him in where he plays a major role. In other movies, he does cameos. In other movies, he does soundtracks. But never in a main role. And he's a guy who's a bum in Poverty Row, and, uh, yeah, basically, he, he lives with his mother, Kim Basinger, he lives with his, with his young sister, who he has to take care of, and, yeah, they're very, very poor, and his escape is rap battling, yep, and, uh, (laughs) yeah, if any of you have heard Eminem, you know that he's, he is just, when he gets on that stage, he lights up like a motherfucker. You know, he takes the stage, he takes that crowd, and he has some of the best rhymes I've heard. <laughs> Next up, we've got Almost Famous, which is more traditionally music-themed, you know? Almost Famous is uh, when a 15-year-old gets to interview rock stars for the Rolling Stone, and this is one of my... Uh, personal highlights of this particular subgenre, you know? Almost Famous includes life on the road, it includes uh, the sex, the drugs, and definitely the rock and roll. This one's set back in the 70s and is partially based on Cameron Crowe's time in the uh, Rolling Stone magazine, you know? But yeah, I really like this film, I really like that Kate Hudson's in it. Also, the guy who later played Dr. Manhattan in Watchmen, Billy Crudup, is here. He's a little bit different here, obviously, you know, that's acting for you. (laughs) But, yeah, quite recommended. I had the director's cut, which I didn't see yet, but the theatrical version I saw, and that was pretty good. So, moving on now, next we have the Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers is actually, honestly, probably the best Saturday Night Live film we're going to get. With all due respect to Wayne's World, the Blues Brothers... Is just going to top everything. They ran out of bud... Like, I think they might have even gone over budget. <laughs> but, yeah. As controversial as John Landis is as, as a director, see the Twilight Zone accident, or incident, I should call it, because I'm not sure whether it was an accident or not. Anyway. Uh, yeah, the Blues Brothers is really Dan Aykroyd's idea. Dan Aykroyd helped write the script for this, and... You know, what other what other musical action comedy are you going to get such badass car chases, you know? <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know any other musical action comedy, so that alone makes it unique. Um, for those Americans out there, it was the first R-rated film that I ever saw, which 
is not saying a lot when it comes to your standard because over there you can get to something like Boyhood rated R. And in the same rating you've got, what, the Belko experiment? Ah, oh, don't mind that. That's just uh, the Twitch chat in the back. No, shit, sorry. That's the uh, Discord thing in the background. Every time a thing chimes, I had to turn it up to do the theme as I do normally each episode. So moving on from... Did you know that at one point in the Blues Brothers, they actually destroyed a mall when they said they weren't going to? I mean, Universal must have had a huge bill then, honestly. <laughs> They're just driving through it and flipping cars upside down and, you know, it's it's not on huge levels, but it, it's big enough, okay? So, yeah. Next, I'd like to mention a couple of films with uh, John Cusack, and I believe Joan Cusack is somewhere in both of these. Gross Point Blank and High Fidelity. And I think High Fidelity is a little bit better with its... Uh, elitist music people who work in a record store but both of them are quite good I wouldn't call Grace Point Blank a musical because you know it has a hell of a good soundtrack but it's not a musical it's uh, this guy who has to manage a high school reunion and an assassination job (laughs) yeah and it's also a bit of a rom-com that one in fact with Minnie Driver who you may know from Good Will Hunting and lately the show Speechless. So yeah, there's that. But also there's High Fidelity, where it's all about a top ten list of breakups that this guy goes through. You know, because he's obsessed with these top tens, and he's creating these lists of the worst breakups he's had. And it's a very interesting concept. I mean, you know, those two are quite recommended. High Fidelity, I reckon, has a standout performance from Jack Black. And uh, Jack Black improves anything, honestly. Jack Black is just... (laughs) I can't get enough of the guy. He's awesome. His cameo in Anchorman 1. (laughs) If you don't know, I'm a huge fan of those two Anchorman movies. I just... I love them. They're my guilty pleasures, if you will. Yeah. But also... Yeah. Those two were... owned by Gross Point Blank and High Fidelity are both owned by Disney but you're not going to see them on Disney Plus anytime soon because they're all for the family friendly content Gross Point Blank was through Hollywood Pictures which is one defunct um, adult division of Disney that you'll see also on the Sixth Sense and While You Were Sleeping and also High Fidelity was released through Touchstone Touchstone cancelled themselves like Touchstone became defunct just uh, earlier this decade, in fact. Their last film was The Lights Between Oceans, but you'll know him for Ruthless People, Sister Act. You'll know him for uh, Dead Poets Society, Good Morning Vietnam. You'll know him for just various other films. Pretty Woman, which Pretty Woman I personally find highly overrated. (laughs) But that's just me. You may have your own taste. You know, Touchstone helped uh, M... M. Night Shyamalan with Unbreakable, and they helped Wes Anderson up until um, just after Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. But yeah, everything from the Darjeeling Limited onward is outside of Touchstone, and the one film he did before Touchstone's run with him was, in fact, Bottle Rocket, which not too many people know. Last time I read Bill Murray, I'd still not seen that. But back on track, let's go with the music-themed films, Okay. 
the one big one that I got to mention that was sometimes put on a double bill with Grease was Saturday Night Fever with John Travolta. This is much like 8 Mile in which it in which it's very sort of run down. The characters are amoral. You know, you get instead of rap battles, you get disco. And this was made about 25 years earlier. But still, it's like a bit of a time capsule, you know, with the disco music and the outfits and the famous disco numbers and the well, it's a drama first and foremost. So, yeah, a bit of a dated drama too with its uh, sexist scenes. Yeah. Oh, it's okay, Discord. I'll check you a tiny bit later. <laughs> if that's okay, I'm recording the episode. <laughs> I was telling you guys about. So, yeah. Yeah, Saturday Night Fever is really a drama first. It's not a musical like many people think, although John Travolta is such a great dancer, they got him to do it again in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. But out of the two movies, I would prefer Sat- Grease, honestly, because it's just more fun, it's more of a musical. You know, I'm a bit of a sucker for good musicals, like I mentioned in the previous episode. But then there's one with a hell of a soundtrack, School of Rock. You know, it has it has some originals in there, but it also was one of the first films to use a Led Zeppelin song. Bit of trivia about how Led Zeppelin's used in movies. Wayne's World originally was going to play a few bars of Stairway to Heaven. However, they could not. At least, not, not after the theatrical release. In the theatrical release, you had a sign that said, No Stairway. No, no Stairway to Heaven or something like that. In fact, Mike Myers did play a few notes in the theatrical version, but when it came time for VHS and DVD and all that, the notes had to be removed because Led Zeppelin at, at the time was not letting anyone use it. Not anyone, not know how. But yeah, other than that, School of Rock used a bit of, I think it was Immigrant Song, which Jack Black sings along to, but they use it really briefly. And if there's one thing that we know Led Zeppelin now hates, even though they're more lenient with their standards now, Led Zeppelin hates it when people just use part of their songs, you know? Which is why you've got, in Thor Ragnarok, when they play Immigrant Song once or twice, you get the whole thing. Because Led Zeppelin wants their whole song used, they refuse to lend it out for commercials as well. So, there's that. (laughs) So yeah, Led Zeppelin are very selective and probably very expensive. So if you're going with an indie project, you know, you can't really go for that. Next, we've got Whiplash. Sorry, let me mention something more about School of Rock. You'll get an early early Miranda Cosgrove, who was later on iCarly, and later did a song for Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. So yeah, moving on to Whiplash. Modern masterpiece, this one. This one will go down as a classic. I mean, yeah, you think your music teacher was mean? J.K. Simmons plays the meanest motherfucker in all of the music-themed films. He, He curses, he shouts, he sweats, he throws chairs, he does shit you wouldn't believe. He does shit that would get a normal teacher fired, okay? (laughs) And yet J.K. Simmons owns the hell out of this role. He is the teacher from hell, and I loved his performance. And... Yeah, Miles Teller also did all his own drumming, who plays the main character who wants to push himself into drumming and drumming and drumming until his hands bleed. But basically, 
it is very much worth watching if you think you've had a hard lot in life. You'll be grateful that none of your teachers were like that, you know? <laughs> so moving on next, we've got films with great soundtracks. I mentioned uh, some films with great soundtracks earlier, I think, just vaguely. But let me see. We've got Dazed and Confused, which has a highway star. It has Schools Out. And I'll get to Schools Out a bit later, actually. Because Alice Cooper, I mean, he is great. He is. <laughs> I love the guy. But, yeah, it it's basically a slice-of-life film with lots of talking, no plot, and wall-to-wall rock music. Its prototype seems to be American graffiti, really. But, you know, Dazed and Confused is just really casual, really laid-back, perfect for when you don't want to pay much attention. Just fun, and it has a breakout performance of Matthew McConaughey. Oh, I Want to Rock and Roll All Night Is There by Kiss. Um, you know, you can probably use your Spotify search to search these up, you know. <laughs> I am on Spotify. Hi, Spotify listeners. Also, I'm pretty sure that no one's listening yet on Google Podcasts or anything, so... <laughs> yeah, anyway. It's just... Yeah. You've got Mila Jovovich, you've got... Uh, I yeah, a bunch of people. Ben Affleck as an asshole, which is a bit rare for him. But, yeah... That's a fun film. Another one that has quite a famous soundtrack, mainly from one artist, was The Graduate, which uh, is, uh, for you younger listeners out there, um, this is where, so here's to you, Mrs. Robinson, the, that song comes from. You may have heard the 90s cover more than the Simon and Garfunkel one, but believe me, they had about three very famous Simon and Garfunkel songs in this film. Um, Mrs. Robinson, Scarborough Fair, and The Sound of Silence, which is obviously where the popular Hello Darkness, My Old Friend meme comes from. <laughs> yeah, but it's really a film about finding yourself, and the the folksy tunes of Simon and Garfunkel just really help it along for me. Dustin Hoffman puts in an amazing performance. Like, you know... It's uh, one of the films that really pushed th- pushed things in the 60s, along with Cool Hands, Luke and Bonnie and Clyde. And, you know, no one had really thought, hey, let's use a folk soundtrack. Previously, they just wanted orchestral. Previously, they just wanted, you know, just standard stuff. But, yeah. Also, may I mention on a separate note, The Graduate has some fantastic widescreen cinematography. I mean, it just... The picture's wider in this film like it is for blockbusters. And this film uses the edges. Honestly. (laughs) But I love when a film does that. Also see The Sand Lot, which I think I've I've mentioned this widescreen thing some episodes earlier, so I think it may have been episode two, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Yeah, next we've got two really popular examples, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and 2. Oh, where to start with this? There's there's ABC 123, there's Moonage Daydream, there's uh, Hooked on a Feeling, which is the second time it's been used in a popular movie after Reservoir Dogs, and yeah, the James Gunn certainly has an ear for soundtracks. He does. And it just fits perfectly with his mix. You know, at the start of the first movie, his mother dies, for those who don't know, and she gives him a playlist of songs that uh, 70s, 80s, and I'm a sucker for that shit, honestly. (laughs) 
I mean, who isn't? All the pop crap on radio today just kills me sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, hmm, number two had uh, memorable uses of The Chain by Fleetwood Mac and Father and Son by Cat Stevens. Which, yeah, I honestly think that some people have criticised the MCU for the orchestral scores not being memorable till recently. But as for soundtracks themselves, they've had a few good needle drops. I'm going to talk about the MCU in general here. Iron Man with Back in Black and the thematically inappropriate Iron Man song from Black Sabbath actually about a bad guy. <laughs> Crazy, huh? Well, also we've got uh, The Martian, which I'm not sure too many people... Who am I kidding? A lot of people saw this, but I'm not sure it's as popular four years later as it was back then. But you may remember it as the film where Matt Damon sciences things out of his own shit. Like, literally uses it as fertilizer for plants, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. He's... I mean... No one... No one dies at the start of the film. But you've still got to... You've still got to a disco mixtape that he's left with the, with his only music. Like, you know, there's there's hot stuff that he has playing when he's getting something hot to survive on Mars. That, on a side note, that movie is scientifically accurate, except for, except for the dust that keeps him there. Everything else that happens on Mars, you can do. You can fertilize plants with your own shit. <laughs> I know it's crazy, but it works. Next, we've got Quentin Tarantino's films, particularly Pulp Fiction. Oh, man. Every time I hear the the intro, every time I hear Mizzaloo by Dick Dale, I, I'm just, I have to think before it, or I have to play before it. Everybody because it's a robbery! Don't any of you fucking pricks move! I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you! Before it goes, you know. Oh, man. It is just, the soundtrack fits this movie perfectly. From Mizzaloo to the, uh, to the final track, Surf Rider, that plays over the end credits. Surf Rider. Yes. <laughs> but also, the way it switches in the middle of the opening credits to go to Jungle Boogie is brilliant. And also, there are certain scenes and certain songs that I can't get out of my head. Like, every time you hear Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon, you just imagine Uma Thurman dancing around her lounge room. This film has got style to spare. It has got style. And, you know, the the films that have a lot of style and back it up with substance, like good writing and uh, snappy writing, like Pulp Fiction has, those are some of the best films ever, you know? Um, earlier today, I just watched Requiem for a Dream. Highly recommended viewing. It scares you off drugs more than train spotting will. So anyway, I think that, uh, you know, Pulp Fiction keeps it sort of uh, campy with the music. It doesn't have the Western selections Tarantino would later be known for. But visually, it borrows a lot from other movies. Someone walks past a car from the perspective of the headboard, and it reminds you a bit of Psycho at the start of Psycho, where Marion sees someone cross the road and then look at her briefly. But yeah, I don't want to go into spoilers, but know that Pulp Fiction's one of my favourite films ever. Also, the beginning scene where you see the two robbers um, at 
either side of the table is actually set up similar to one seen in Bonnie and Clyde at another diner. So yeah, there's a bit of trivia about that. But honestly, the the music kicks ass in that film. I mean, yeah. And whenever I hear Chuck Berry's You Never Can Tell, I just think, ah, yes, John Travolta and Uma Thurman are, are a match made in heaven, even though her character's technically married. <laughs> but then other Tarantino films, we've got Street Life and Across 110th Street and Jackie Brown and... You know, you've got uh, Tennessee Stud by Johnny Cash. I know I find myself humming that one a bit. But yeah. Yeah, I feel like a DJ this episode because of the music themes. You know, a bit of trivia for you. All Star was not first used in Shrek. All Star, its earliest use of the movie was Mystery Men, an underlooked spoof with the superheroes. <laughs> Some of you may know Mystery Men with Ben Stiller, Greg Kinnear, Hank Azaria... And if you don't, seek it out, please. <laughs> I certainly like it. Uh, one final mention. There are obvious choices like Dreamweaver or Feed My Frankenstein in Wayne's World. But what really sticks out for me is the Bohemian Rhapsody scene at the beginning of the film where they're all headbanging when it goes... Oh, yes. I tried that once to Bohemian Rhapsody and believe me, my neck was strained for several days. <laughs> So yeah, all of these films use their soundtracks to, like, not the maximum potential, but it certainly makes things sound cooler. It's worth the budget, you know, unlike if an actor gets paid too much, or that sort of thing. Actors, I reckon they should keep the budget, personally, on movies to what they need, you know? Nothing gratuitous, nothing superfluous, just the basics, the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Yes, that. Now, finally, we're going to move on to something else that I want to uh, go on to. (laughs) Musical moments in movies. You know, musical moments can make or break a film for me. If you have a memorable music moment, you have sales of a song surge. Searches for a song surge every time that you hear it in a movie. And... YouTube comments will say, oh, I came here from this, I came here from that, I came to the end by the doors from that opening in Apocalypse Now with the cross fading and the helicopters and the trees blowing up and shit. So yeah, there's that. But yeah, I'm going to get to the smaller moments in movies, the movies that are not musicals, but have perfect cues, you know? As I mentioned, Apocalypse Now with the uh, opening and the end, but also the helicopter strike toward the first half with Ride of the Valkyries. If you don't know what that is, it's the classic tune. So yeah, there's, there's that. And you probably know what I'm talking about. The Deer Hunter has... Uh, uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. Well, I nickname it You're Just Too Good to Be True. I forget if that's the actual title. You see, I'm more of an expert on movies than music. <laughs> so don't expect me to know too much of, of on the music. But, yeah. So then we have Almost Famous with uh, the band. Just, uh, they're on a bus. They're all silent. They're all... They're all a little bit stressed out. Tiny Dancer by Elton John comes onto the radio. Everyone just starts singing along. And wouldn't you too? 
I mean, it's... Oh, I've always wanted to be on a packed bus like that. I once did a similar thing with All Star, in fact. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, that That's the thing that seems to bring them together in that moment, you know? Music can transport you, and that's a main theme of Almost Famous, I'd say. But next we've got a song that appeared in Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, and Goodwill Hunting, Afternoon Delight. Gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab some afternoon delight. Uh, you know that one. If you've seen Anchorman or Goodwill Hunting, you'll know it immediately. <laughs> you know, my father comments that I have a super memory. That I just have a gift for super memory, and so I remember shit that nobody else does. <laughs> and it's true. It's true when it's stuff I'm interested in. You know, I have a great memory. Uh, but anyway, Afternoon Delight is a non sequitur in Anchorman, much like everything else is, and it just fits so perfectly that they'd start having a sing-along when Ron's pining after Veronica, and, <laughs> well, they're all bastards, the news readers, but that's what makes them so endearing, you know, they're hilarious, because they're, uh, for lack of a better word, bastardry. <laughs> bastardry? Is that how I pronounce it? So, yeah. And uh, Goodwill Hunting, that's uh, that's the song. Again, a bit of a non-sequitur from Matt Damon in this one. <laughs> or oh, Team America fans will know him as uh, Matt Damon. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. I believe that Afternoon Delight plays in the end credits, but for reasons I won't spoil here. But yeah, that's another good one. Back to the Future fans may remember, apart from the score, um, a certain playing of the song Johnny B. Good by Chuck Berry. I've mentioned Chuck Berry for the Pulp Fiction example before, in fact. And yeah, <laughs> oh, it, it just, it's one of the highlights of Back to the Future, that scene. And it's better if it's relevant to the story, like if you're performing the song for a crowd, you know? Um, fans of that film will know what I mean. But, you know, Beetlejuice has the memorable scene where everyone's possessed to sing Deo at the same time, including the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, who is now disgraced, and I'll let you find out about that yourself. So, yeah, apart from that, you know, they have a few... Harry Belafonte songs in Beetlejuice, like uh, Shake, 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 Senora, you may have heard in the Lumo ads. <laughs> yeah, but Beetlejuice was wacky to begin with. When you have wackier musical choices, you know you're going to have a hell of a film. Blue Velvet, um, there's, this is the most random one on the list ever, okay, but In Dreams by Roy Orbison. There, uh, there's a moment where two characters are just lip-syncing to the song, and Dennis Hopper's character calls it Candy-Colored Clown. I think Blue Velvet's a little bit overhyped myself, but I understand that it has a an extremely memorable musical moment with In Dreams, which is bizarre. And I like bizarre. I like being John Malkovich. I have no idea why Blue Velvet didn't connect with me that much, but there's that. But... One that you may remember better is The Breakfast Club. Even though it's a meeting of strangers who have to spend several hours with each other and then go their separate ways, you know, I wonder what happened afterward, but 
The song Don't You Forget About Me, I reckon it's just saying don't forget about everyone in society. We are going to make an impression whether you like it or not. You know, the the saying, the popular saying these days, which is the words, OK Boomer, seems to dismiss the concerns of the uh, boomers because I'd say because... They had the same experiences as us. Think of the rebel films in the 50s and the 70s and all that. That shit just... It wasn't just our generation. Hmm, yeah. It wasn't just, uh... I'm... I mean, hell, I'm 17 as I'm recording this, and, uh... I certainly... I sympathise with the previous generations. They had, uh... Better efforts at counterculture. They had, uh... You know, they had the rockabilly Elvis music in the 50s, and they had the Beatles in the 60s. But, yeah, you know, it's like one example of counterculture in a previous generation, I would say, would be someone in the 80s who's growing up as a teen in the 80s liking Elvis in the 50s. You know, you don't have to like stuff now. You know, you can forge your own way. You can create your own musical identity, which is what I've done. I rarely ever listen to modern radio. In fact, a lot of... This is how it ties into movies, this point. A lot of... uh, A lot of uh, songs from movies get me to seek them out and seek the artists out and discover new music all the time, add it to the Spotify playlists, all that stuff. But, yeah, that's the power. It's the power of love. Um, which you may also recognize from Back to the Future, The Power of Love, by Huey Lewis and the News. <laughs> Speaking of Huey Lewis and the News, I'm still waiting for my damn American Psycho Blu-ray to come through the mail. Why is it taking so long? But that's off the point. <laughs> so, yeah. One particular, particularly creepy musical moment that occurs and makes you never see the song the same way again is A Clockwork Orange in which in which uh, the criminals Alex the Large and his gang toward the beginning of the film come into the house of an old man and his wife and start kicking the shit out of them while belting out singing in the rain and this scene is terrifying and just oh man it is I wouldn't say electric but you know that dynamic power you have if you're behaving scarily if you are unpredictable if you don't know what's going to happen next you know but yeah the fact that such an ironic tune can be used I believe this would be one of the pioneering uses honestly although irony isn't just the 70s or or in the future but I honestly reckon that such a powerful film that makes you think different things about different things (laughs) should do that to that tune too unfortunately though it made Gene Kelly pretty mad because Gene Kelly didn't like the way his song was used because it was in a it was in a perverted context yeah but I highly recommend checking out A Clockwork Orange a masterpiece of controversy I say a masterpiece Oh, it is a slow burn. I hope you guys don't mind slow burns, but yeah. I mentioned schools out in Dazed and Confused, but what about a more comedic one to lighten the mood? Uh, Mockingbird from uh, Dumb and Dumber. Not the Hush Little Baby one, but uh, 
the one that uh, mocking bird just before they do the most annoying noise in the world. <laughs> oh, really guilty pleasure of mine that film. Honestly, <laughs> Jim Carrey, Jeff Daniels make the best pair, and uh, that's the one musical moment I can think of from this film. <laughs> Apart from the Pretty Woman parody, which, truth be told, is better than Pretty Woman itself. <laughs> Ferris Bueller's Day Off with Twist and Shout, Pulp Fiction with Girl You'll Be a Woman Soon, where Mia goes <laughs> where, with what she thinks is cocaine but is heroin and starts bleeding from the nose. And, uh, you know, oh, that. <laughs> yeah, that's especially memorable with that end of the scene. But also, one of the scenes that particularly sticks out with me, not quite as creepy as a, as a Clockwork Orange, but The Silence of the Lambs where uh, Buffalo Bill is dancing in the buff, and, uh, you know, his Goodbye Horses is playing, and, you know, he's, uh, he wants to become a, a woman. Unfortunately, though, you know, the film's dated a little bit by today's standard, but it's famous for the scene where he's dancing, and, and, uh, has, a yeah, you can picture it if you've seen the movie, but he's like, would you fuck me? I would fuck me. And, <laughs> well, the audience would be like a resounding, no, no. Because, you know, it's uh, meant to creep you out a bit. Um, yeah, but, you know. I, uh, I think that while LGBT representation has come far in such a good way, I mean, The Silence of the Lambs still has quite a memorable musical moment, and I had to mention it, because it's Goodbye Horses. Who else, Who's not going to remember that? Particularly fans of the show Monk, you know? <laughs> so, uh, those are all the musical moments I've got to mention right now, but I'm also going to mention, I'm surprised that The Edge of Seventeen did not have the Stevie Nicks song, and the worst musicals, in my opinion, include Grease 2. I mean... It's hilariously terrible, that one, to me. But, yeah. (laughs) The fact that it has a whole song about, let's do it for our country. I mean, come on. Come on. Uncle Sam would be proud if you'd do it for your country. Hardly. (laughs) It's just an exercise in stupidity to me, but, you know, the film has its fans, and, you know, that's fine. I, I don't judge in taste of movies basically. You can like what you like. It doesn't mean I have to like it. I like, you know. I mean, I know. Yeah, some people don't like a clockwork orange. I do. And that's just me, though. (laughs) But, you know, Monty Python has a great song coming from Life of Brian. Always look on the bright side of life. And I'm actually physically unable to whistle, so I could not do that part if I tried. Ah, fucking hell. (sighs) Also, another one of the worst musicals. uh, Monty Python, by the way, I love Monty Python. So that's not in the worst pile, okay? But Can't Stop the Music. It has a decent soundtrack. And while it features good music, it's absolutely hilariously terrible, like Plan 9 from Outer Space. (laughs) It's the Plan 9 from Outer Space of music-themed films, basically, I'd say. Airs every New Year's Eve on New Year's Day on Channel 9 every single year, you know? And village people were a big disco band in the 70s who thought they were ready for the 80s, but really, the film was colossally bad. I mean, ugh. 
<laughs> I'm not sure what's a more horrific sight. The silence of the lambs where Buffalo Bill dances with his dick between his legs? Or, uh... Or, uh... <laughs> can't stop the music. <laughs> yeah. Also... I would like to give a mention to films in the, that mention the title in the theme song, Ghostbusters and Men in Black, um, being two prime examples, but also all these James Bond films. I like that a lot. And one trend I dislike quite often is films that end with musical numbers gratuitously. It worked in 40-Year-Old Virgin and Life of Brian, but then, you know, animated films tended to use that a lot, like Shrek. I mean, Shrek even was a bit iffy with that, but, you know, I think it's a little bit of a cop-out to end your film on a musical number when you can't think of another way to end it, you know? But, yeah. So, that's all I've got to talk about for this uh, particular episode. (laughs) But, yeah, I thought I'd just uh, give a little, well, a long epilogue to last episode for that. So, yeah, I'm going to give these shout-outs again, alright? So, we're coming to the end of another episode, and I'd like to give a shout-out again to Elsie Cool, Tessie Cat, and Real Sharks, aka Riri Shaku. And I would also like to give a shout-out to Mary Amber, whose birthday is going to be in less than two hours as of this recording and publishing. So happy birthday to you, and please wish her a happy birthday for me. And yeah, (laughs) so yeah. The other thing is, if you guys would like to send a voice message to feature on any future podcasts... Oh, I forgot to mention one person, that's Ashy Slashy. I will never forget to mention that guy. He is awesome too. You are all awesome, you are all fantabulous, and yeah. <laughs> so I'd also like to mention, if you'd like to send a voice message up to one minute in length, um, you can send multiple, you can send as many as you want, but go to my page every time I uh, publish a, a new episode, and remember, you can, you can talk to up to one minute, and be on my episode, and I will include you, I will try to include you any way I can, just... Yeah, you're always welcome at the Film Geek Collective. If you support us in any way, you're part of it. Rock on, alright?